I'm Dale Denwalt. And I'm Nuria martinez Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. As we approach the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, reporters from the Oklahoman are presenting stories that chronicle those events and the effect it had on Black communities. One of those stories examines how newspapers covered the tragedy in 1921. Oklahoman reporter Dave Cathy looked back at newspaper archives in both Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Major newspapers at the time espoused blatantly racist views and used dog whistle terms when they wrote about the massacre. Today, when we think about the power of media in shaping public opinion, we tend to focus on cable news networks, and social media. But a hundred years ago, people viewed the world through the eyes of newspaper writers. Dave, how do you think that Oklahoma's newspapers influenced the Tulsa Race Massacre? The simple answer to that question, Dale, is exactly how they wanted. And and, and the way I say it that way is because the, the a newspaper in those days did not carry the same, it didn't, didn't carry the same mission as a newspaper does today. Uh, journalistic ethics that, that we all follow, that we were all taught coming up through college, through j- journalism school, those didn't exist yet in 1921. And it's, the irony is the way that, that uh, information is passed today through social media would have been very, very familiar to people in newspapers. Newspaper coverage was much closer to what we see on social media today than what we see in newspapers today. Not completely, but, but in Certainly on the editorial pages. Certainly on the editorial pages. So it's kind of a regurgitation of opinion without the careful uh, criticism of of facts and and pursuing those truths. Absolutely. And sometimes even uh, rumor uh, being, being, uh, you know, thrown out there as if it were fact. Like you see on social media now, that that same sort of very propaganda style uh, approach to uh, communicating. And that, that was a part of the uh, that was a part of the media industry at that time because it, media itself was not a mass media industry. It was local and regional for the most part. There was, I think, the New York yeah the New York Times actually did cover the Tulsa. They sent a reporter to the Tulsa race uh, massacre, uh, and, but th- th- this was something that was mostly covered by uh, the Associated Press uh, and, and of course your local Tulsa uh, news news gatherers. Historians say uh, a front page story in the Tulsa Tribune, which was the afternoon paper at the time, uh, historians say a front page story in that paper riled up readers and helped incite the massacre. What was that story about and how did it come to be a catalyst for that event? Yeah, well, to step back just a, a little bit, uh, to understand the, the media landscape of Tulsa at the time, you had two major white run newspapers. Uh, the Tulsa Tribune and the Tulsa World. And the World was your morning paper. The Tribune was the afternoon paper. And in those days, the afternoon paper was intended, was targeted to your blue, blue-collar blue audience. Uh, came out in the afternoon as as folks were getting off work at the, at the wherever, at the bar or at the factory or wherever it was. And so it sort of leaned in that direction. And so it was a little more insightful, a little more sensational. And so the Tribune certainly would have been the more fantastic of, of, of the two papers. Now, a year before, there had been a very uh, high-profile lynching of a white man in Tulsa that was splashed all over both papers 
and and and, in, and including uh, the local black paper had covered it uh, very strongly as well. And when a white man was lynched for for uh, killing another person, that put everyone on high alert. Uh, that someone was so easily pulled out of the out of the the sheriff's office. So when Dick Rowland is accused of uh, assaulting a, a young white woman in an elevator, and there's any coverage at all, that already heightens things. Well, the Tulsa Tribune's uh, headline on the front page uh, was this sort of non sequitur almost headline of NAB Negro, said something about NAB Negro. And then the, the very short, I think it was five or six paragraph long story that accompanied it had all this racially charged language and sort of used very vague, vague description of the account, but very specific words to indicate that she, she might've been raped or sexually assaulted in some way, which history shows she was not. She never, she never, she refused to file anything against Dick Rowland. So this headline is sort of that headline on the front page. It wasn't a big headline, but it was, you know, for, for a time when lynchings were in the air and, and, and race, Issues were nationwide. Uh, I mean, race riots at the time were not uncommon. Uh, there had been number of them in that in that area leading up to this point. So, but that headline on that day, as the as the kid was in jail, as Dick Rowland was in jail, that headline that day, as as you know, the probably the the it would be the most of the white men in that in that time were getting off work. This headline is hitting the streets. And so certainly that would have played a role. And just for some context here, Dick Rowland was a black uh, 19-year-old. Um, so just the, uh, I think you mentioned in your story or you referenced um, some of uh, the reporting you looked at that um, black men had been murdered for less. Um, yes. And the idea yes. uh, of a black boy raping a white woman uh, was yeah. particularly insightful. Absolutely. It was almost... That's why the, the the entire story is such a interesting thing to dive into is because the charge against Dick Rowland was more an opportunity for very specific members of the of the, of the Tulsa uh, community to make things happen, to make things move. Because there was a lot of jealousy going on about the amount of money that was being made in Greenwood and the property that was held in Greenwood. So it wasn't as if somebody uh, necessarily was sitting around aiming a gun saying we want to take over at any time, but there was certainly enough grumbling and there was certainly enough uh, jealousy and always enough greed to to covet this property. And so when something like this comes up, it was certainly there were, there were certainly people that used it as an opportunity uh, for sure. And, and I believe and we didn't talk about in that same issue with the, the NAB Negro headline on the front page. There is this mystery of a uh, of a editorial that accompanied it, that it accompanied on the back page of the Tulsa Tribune that uh, those that claim there are claims that it said to Lynch Negro tonight, okay, and that that are, that has never been proven because the editorial in question was literally torn out of the archives of the Tulsa Tribune. Uh, the NAB Negro headline on the front page was preserved because that headline was actually reproduced in other editions of the paper. That was a time when you would print the paper, get it on the street, but you would continue to print it. 
and or you would print new editions. And so you would take some of the stories from one edition and move them into another. So that story made it into other editions. The editorial in question never did. And there's actually a, there's a in in, in a, one of the books I looked at there is a picture of of that archival version of the Tulsa Tribune with the page torn the editorial page completely torn off. So clearly something was written in it or on it that they feared would would be looked at as insightful in the aftermath. Now you wrote that it's not uh, just what the media covered, but also the stories that they didn't tell about what happened that day. Um, what are some, some of the things that are missing from these early reports? The simple answer to that is humanity. Um, one thing that is, I always like to try and impress upon people is, is the, the, as, as best we can guess the mindset of an individual in 1921, in 1921 Tulsa. And you have to understand this is a time that is as close to the civil war as we are the Ronald Reagan administration. So that's not a long time ago uh, at, in 1921. So you would have had a lot of embedded ignorance in, in the white community and specifically in Oklahoma because Oklahoma was, we have to, we, it's easy for us to forget what Oklahoma actually was. It was this new opportunity for, for sort of marginalized people of every race, color, and creed. And everybody saw it as this opportunity to get something that I had wasn't able to get anywhere else. And unfortunately for the people of color in Oklahoma, they were easily leveraged out of opportunity uh, by the white people who, who got here at the same time or before or even after. And so that had already been going on. And so when you take all that into account, you can look at something as simple as Associated Press Reporting, which we knew even in those days was was a bureau intended to to deliver facts about what happened just in the way they organized their facts you can see the racism you know giving the the number of dead white people in the lead but not getting to the number of dead black people till the third paragraph that tells you all you need to know they they are they are literally segregating white from black and humanity in the coverage and so with that in mind they didn't talk to any black people on the scene uh, outside of uh, a sheriff, uh, you know, uh, Bar- uh, Barney Cleaver was a sheriff, I believe his name, his name was. And, and yeah, he was quoted and he sort of looked at as a hero in this thing because he helped take down the, the violence on, on the black side. But there's one story I read where, you know, they're talking about, uh, there's a description of all these people who were sort of, you know, half dressed and in, in, in chaos, but no one ever bothers to ask them a question. Instead, they talk to a Red Cross nurse who happens to be in the area. At no point in any of the coverage do you see that. Uh, and then, of course, with, so that's on a very basic level. And then going forward, you know, everything just everything in the white paper skewed towards what white people would be concerned with about this. And, and, and the idea it also came from that the view that white people had of blacks at that time which was less than human by law. That was, that was actually a, a matter of debate in those days. So that's, it's important for us to remember that because it's very easy to just point at one side and say, oh, look how terrible they were, and then you move on. If you do that, you don't learn anything. And their ignorance, the, the ignorance of white Tulsa was a big part of the problem here. And, 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 and our, I guess when we look at it from a historical point of view, the best thing we can do is make sure we're not doing the same thing. So we try and give them as much context as we can. 
but yeah, so, and, and that's why I say, Dill, with, with that in mind, if you understand the viewpoint of white America and white Tulsa at that time, it's real easy to see what they missed. They missed almost everything. And black-owned newspapers also covered the race massacre. Yes. How did their telling of the events differ? Yeah, that's that's the only way that we really know anything about the black experience in, in through the Tulsa race massacre is the one black paper that was still around after the after the after the ashes settled was here in Oklahoma City, the Black Dispatch. The Tulsa Star was the black paper uh, in Tulsa at the time, and it was on it was in Greenwood. And the uh, the editor there was an outspoken uh, gentleman, and and actually he, he he actually was a Democrat, which was the more popular party at the time. Uh, but nevertheless, you know he 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 didn't said things that that rankled the white part of Tulsa, and so his place was an immediate uh, target. And so no coverage there. But Roscoe Dungey's Black Dispatch had these incredible accounts of a woman giving birth in the Verdigris River, the, in, in an empty portion of the Verdigris River as men gathered around her. You had, I mean, people weeping for the dead and weeping for the, the people that they weren't sure that were dead. It was complete chaos. Uh, we're journalists, and, 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 you know, if you've ever covered a, uh, the, the aftermath of a tornado or something like that, you know the chaotic scene that that is. It, it is truly like an apocalyptic moment. And so I can only, I, I truly, having been in the aftermath of the May 3rd tornado, having seen how, how frightening that is and, and the, uh, and the, and the, and the Murrah building bombing, having been just blocks away from that, I have a little bit of an understanding how that immediate shock is. And the descriptions that Dungey's paper and, and, and actually the black associated press, which I didn't even know there was such a thing, but there was the way they covered it. They actually got to that. Whereas the white coverage is more of this, like, just sort of like by the numbers, uh, emotionless, because frankly, very few white people lost their lives in, in this thing. <laughs> one of the one of the things I did read was uh, one of the white people that was killed on day one was only because he was mistaken, as it was written, mistaken for a Negro uh, in, in one of the accounts that I read. One of the media experts you spoke with said that if more newspapers had accurately covered the race massacre at that time, that our understanding of the events might be clearer today, 100 years later. Um, how did the decision-making, how did their decision-making back then influence well, our knowledge, our consciousness of the Tulsa race massacre a century later? You know, it's a, it's a good question because the answer, there's sort of a two-sided answer to that that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, because the papers of the time didn't necessarily take on the mantle of paper of record. They weren't, it's, you, you, you can, you can almost, it sounds terrible, but you can almost forgive them because that was never their intention. Now there are other, like the New York times got a lot of stuff wrong on their, on their trip to Oklahoma. And so, yeah, they definitely, they, they since they, they did some reporting that took things in the wrong direction. And the, and the decision, the, the worst decisions, though, that were made during this time were by editorials, by owners. Because within two days after the massacre, as their own reporters are still bringing in the news, as they're still disseminating the information, editorial writers at the Tulsa Tribune, the Tulsa World, and the Oklahoman all started casting blame on the blacks that were there. And that was completely false. 
was it was it was a strictly a propaganda move to try and deflect blame on somebody and it was going to be the easiest target that they could put it on to immediately start making Oklahoma look like and Tulsa more most specifically look like a place that people would want to visit or move because this was you got to remember this is a frontier state and this was the beginning of that time i mean Tulsa's barely 20 years old the state's only 15 at the time my goodness so it's a growing successful city but it needed more blood moving in and and the reality of this for for elite white Tulsa the way it played out they had wanted to move greenwood further northeast for a while that was accomplished but they also had some folks that were uh that were in the vice peddling world in, in not in greenwood but adjacent to it that they didn't like so much either and so when when you look in when when you look back in the history of this thing you'll you'll see that the only people that were really arrested in this whole thing were looters uh people uh, sort of the 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 lesser of the white society uh, the, the white culture at the time and so elite white Tulsa was like yeah get rid of them too so these looters that 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 faced any kind of jail time part of their sentences was always you have to be out of town within 24 hours so it was like oh double bonus we got rid of a, a bunch of people that we didn't like so yeah there there was there was a lot at play during this thing and the, the worst decisions that were made though were by greedy people people that 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 saw the opportunity in this in this thing and some of those people happen to be newspaper owners unfortunately and you know and and our the newspaper that we work for they didn't really have a a stake in Tulsa or anything that we know of i'm sure that you know they certainly had a stake in the uh, oil business or or in the interests of Oklahoma but uh you know our our paper famously had a an editorial that had a line that said that Oklahoma or I don't it's hard to say it was Oklahoma or, or the US is white man's country all things said this is white man's country and I think that's probably among the worst decisions anybody made uh, during this it was to write something as ignorant as, as that uh, and, and, and that absolutely sets us back because when when a newspaper with that kind of authority the state's largest newspaper makes a statement like that, even though a good portion of the readers are going to, are going to find that ignorant and, and dismiss it. There's a good portion that won't. And so now you've moved their level of understanding of humanity back. And so now our kids have to make up for that. And if you look at where we are today with racial strife, it can all be, go back to that time and, and beyond where segregation was, was a part of Oklahoma from its statehood that, that set, that set the tone for the Tulsa race massacre and many other problems that we've had here. So, yeah. And, and, the, and to get back to your question about the, the decision-making of the, the newspapers again, at the, in the early part of the state of statehood, I should say, when all these things were being said, when, when, when public officials were out loud, saying yes to segregation. Our local newspapers did nothing but stand by them. And those decisions in 1907, 1908, 1915, and all the way into 1921, they were consistently siding with racist viewpoints. And that's, you can't, there's, you almost can't measure how much that's affected uh, the state of Oklahoma. Dave, thank you so much for taking a valuable dive into the role that our own profession played in um, not only miscovering what happened, but also perpetuating those uh, harmful narratives. You know what, Nuria, one thing I would like to say, though, uh, one of the experts I talked to, 
the conversation we had, we were talking about as bad as all that sounds that I just said, one of the beauties of media as, as we have organized it is it's never quite done. And the fact that I was able to go back and look it into the archives and see all this stuff and then compare it to, to, to reporting that followed and, and get, we can, we can improve the record is what I'm getting at. And as long as we operate in good faith and we do it, you know, justly, then that's, that's a positive on us that we're able to go back and do this now. That's a positive. There are things that we are ignorant about that, that there were, there are things that generations beyond us will laugh at us about just as we kind of look down our nose at these folks. And we have to have the humility to embrace that if we have any hope of progressing. Well, thanks so much, Dave, for joining us. Thanks for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahomans subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.